since we're doing live and we haven't officially started the show yet uh i i know i owe some of you some swag i've been behind on making time for it but uh, i'll get those out this week so those of you who are waiting for swag and you know who you are i'll be getting that out uh tomorrow so mm, heard that before Abby? I'm, not, I'm talking about your whiskey Talking about your empty promises, sir. Anybody remember this? Oh, God. Here we go. It's going to be one of those shows. <clears throat> there. I got my fill. Well, let's just get into it. I got limited time where everybody's busy. Um, well, okay. So, we're, you know what? I'm glad you reminded me. I just want to say at the top of the show, I am still hiring. The company I work for is still hiring. We're looking for, you know, good Salesforce consultants. So if you're the type of person who, or if you know someone who's got, you know, a couple of certifications or more, yes, we have to do the certification thing. Uh, and you've been, you know, you've got, you know, some number of couple of years, I think we're looking for someone with some experience. You know, if you've got some experience consulting, uh, doing interesting projects, things like that, we would definitely like to talk to you. Um, there is a post on our website, elevation.solutions slash join the unicorns. And it's got information about the, um, I guess the, the job, the uh -huh. jobs that we're hiring for. But if you have any questions, just feel free to reach out to me directly. Uh, it's a cool company. We're almost completely remote. Lots of cool benefits and perks. And it's a very cool, very cool management. If I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> Already um, we have a question from, yep. the from the community. Did you see that? No, I didn't. But my mouse is doing it's a, weird it, things. The question is, Jeremy, seeking certified individuals? <laughs> oh. Hey, I don't make the rules, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got, it's, it's funny when you got to start playing the game, huh? Oh, interesting. Um, people are getting emailed that we're live now. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know it did that. Yeah. Now we're getting our 20 bucks worth, huh? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm so in the red right now. All right. So, yeah, <laughs> and again, I want to let me, let me close out my job ad here, though. But definitely, uh, if you're interested, let me know if you, or if you know anyone uh, that would be interested. Please let me know or let them know or whatever. I think we're just always going to be hiring, though. It's one of those one of those things. Yeah. Except for me. Except for you, John is on the uh, black blacklist. Yeah, you're blackballed. Yeah. <laughs> I asked him. He said, "No, we're not hiring for we're, your." He uh, said his words were, "We weren't hiring for your kind." I don't know how to take that. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can take it however you, you think I meant it. I guess. <laughs> No, we're, I, I think mainly it's the, and, and I know people have different term, definitions of these things, but the solution architect types. Yeah. So what does that, what does solution architect mean to you? And at least in the consulting slash Salesforce space. In the Salesforce world, that's focus on the point and clicky. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I guess see, when you're, I, if you're talking about if tools. I, if but, I thought about yin and yang, it's the solution architect and the, the technical architect and the tech, the solution architect is focused on what's possible with the platform itself the point and clicky stuff the technical architect is 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 good with the technical aspect the integrations all that kind of peripheral stuff but it is a yin and yang because at some point they have to come together and say okay are we stepping on each other's toes are we building the right solution that's my thought and and you are i think you are towing the party line there which i give you the golf clap for i, I, I totally don't like this i think it's i feel like it's an artificial separation between you know tech people or coders and everyone else i mean you have a solution architect and a technical architect. I, it sounds like they're architecting different things, but they're not. They're architecting the same thing. Are they? Yes, they are. Like what? Like, uh, they're architecting a solution. They're building a system. 
And just because some parts of it you you program with, you know, workflow rules or or boxes and arrows, and other parts of the system you configure with some code or some script here or there, you're building the same. You guys are working on the same solution. We are, but from different perspectives. Not really. One is Not focused really. on what the to- what the platform can provide, and the other's focused on what the platform mm-hmm. cannot provide. But the platform has all these different tools and 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 uh, configuration capabilities. Sure. Some of them are. It's like we're separating the, the ones that are configured with some some type of you know programming language. We've completely separated that. We have different people. They're their own type of architect, and I just don't buy that because. Your triggers run right there with my process builders and my workflow rules, and they've all got to get get along together. And if you architect those separately, you are effed out of the gate. True, Ar- architecting in silos is not a good thing, but it, it's a different skill set to architect, architect something custom versus something that knowing it's how custom. to have, it's all custom. Knowing how to accomplish you're something assuming that if it's not if it's not, if it's not a programming language, it's not custom, and that's just completely arbitrary. That's the part I reject. This is completely arbitrary. I mean, you can do loops in code, and you can do loops with your your boxes and your arrows. I mean, well, I think uh, right? if if I'm going to be honest, Flow and Process Builder is a techno architect. Maybe okay, that falls in my purview, not in the solution architect purview. It Maybe. shouldn't. Yeah, because I should be able to make the decision whether or not we'd use Process Builder or Trigger. That's a technical custom perspective to have. That's true. I think solution architects are focused on. Or at least should be. And again, this is my opinion. No, that's fine. Is that they, they should be focused on what the platform can provide um, from a strictly point and click configuration standpoint. I see Flow and Process Builder as coding concepts. There are some coding concept, concepts there, but, I, but boy, Salesforce would really push back on your description there that those are coding things. Because well, they got to sell. Those, those are they no code. They got to sell John. to CTOs. You know, clicks not code, man. I know it's it's all marketing, but anyway. But I mean, those tools are are at least a level up in terms of functionality, flexibility, and power over, say, workflow. Yeah, and you can definitely get yourself in a lot of trouble with those tools if you don't apply the right methodology to it. Absolutely, and that's why. I mean, I really don't care what your title is or what your supposed role is. Like the way I like to do projects is. We're all working from the same Kanban board. You know, anyone can, anyone can drag uh, the, the the next card over. What's wrong? Look at this chart that was posted. Uh, let's see, uh, strategy, focus, technology focus. Depth. You, you had the most disturbed look on your face that I think I've ever seen. Because it made it seem like Techno Architect was at the low, was at the bottom. Oh, of it the is barrel. in the Salesforce world. It absolutely is. Coders are the worst. We're we're the we're the option of last resort. Do not call those guys. They just create problems and, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, somebody needs to change how they bill for us because we're expected to be billable. <laughs> if we're yeah. the last resort, that doesn't leave me very many options. Yeah, so Chuck says, you know, it's t- t- TA is a pretty low-level designation as, as in you are in the weeds. And so, yeah. So whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, these are all just tools and we're all trying to build things and create, we're trying to create value for whoever is, you know, commissioned our project. And right. again, that's why I'm like, hey, we all, we're all on the stand up together. We're all pulling cards from the same stack. Um, you know, there's, there's no programming task I have to do where I usually, I'm not also, you know, doing something with a field or a page layout or something like that. So it's, it all, uh, these, this, these lines between these different roles are very sloppily drawn. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I've, I've 
been on interviews for a, I'm going to use air quotes here, technical architect. And they asked me a bunch of point and click just, stuff. Just for reference, he actually just did air quotes too. I did. Yeah, I know. You weren't making it up. You're not faking it. <laughs> I'm not faking it. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't oh, know. So what were you saying? Sorry. I was just saying that I, I, I've... There's been some comments in Slack about kind of companies confusing the terms and all those kind of things. And I think the terms do get confused. I don't think anybody really knows what a technical architect is supposed to be doing. I don't think anybody really knows what a solution architect is supposed to be doing. I don't anybody really knows what a BA is supposed to be doing because there tends to be a lot of overlap. If you look at the grand scheme of things, there's, there's a, and you stuck a Venn diagram on it, there would be a ton of overlap in all that. And, and so how do you... I think, I think with those roles, it tends to, to indicate some kind of silo, that this is your job, and this is your job, and this is your job. Also, hand gestures yeah, that you a lot can't of, see. A lot of gestures going on here. The next iteration <laughs> of this ducking. is going to be live video, so I can do my hand gestures. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah I mean, it, it, those titles tend to indicate some kind of silo of, or, or some kind of specialized skill that that person has, and that thus that part of the project is their responsibility. But I don't... I don't, I don't agree with that philosophy, but at the same, <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> I tried to hold together, but so Jeremy's been so focused on beer lately. Uh, today we don't have any beer, but we have whiskey and, uh, he, <laughs> he took a drink of whiskey and he just, it burned him. <laughs> it, it burns. It burned him. And so now he's pouring water into it. Sorry. I don't see why that's so funny though. I just you have a low threshold for losing it. I've also had three beers already. Oh, that's true. And it's quite <laughs> big beers, too. No, they're five and a half, five and a half, 15. 5.5, 5, 5, 5, 15. <clears throat> okay, so I, let's talk about this whole solution architect versus uh, what, what's, the, um, what's BA? Business analyst. Business analyst, right? Right. So in my world, in the projects, the way we kind of structure teams is the solution architect really does also... So that, okay. They do play the role of designing a solution, right? But before you even get to the point that you're designing solutions, you're analyzing business stuff. Right. Requirements, needs, problems, roles, politics, all kinds of stuff, timelines, budgets, you're analyzing all. I mean, that's part of, that's your job. So again, but it sounds like you're, and, and this is what most, I think, partners do, is they merge the role of project manager and BA. And that's, that's, I think that's fine sometimes if you understand that's what you're doing. Yeah. What the problem I have with a lot of these projects is they'll, um, they'll call someone the project manager when actually they're, I'm like, oh, that person's not the project manager. They're basically just like the lead Salesforce consultant on the project. Yeah. Um, and, and, they're, and they're playing somewhat of a project management role also to whatever degree they, they can. Someone has they to do it. To. Yeah. And the thing is like, I don't know. I, I actually a lot of times reject um, either a full-time project management role, and that means, I mean, having one on a project, or um, some of these real heavyweight project management tools because they're so often recommended on, on projects that really don't need it. Uh, because, you know, if you're, like, let's say, let's say, I mean, how big of a project do you need before you're actually, you need a, a you know, a PMI certified project manager and with, you know, all kinds of Gantt and PERT and all that stuff. And, you know, but at, w at what point do you need that? How, how, you know, what's the budget of the project? What's the, the threshold or the length of the project in, in terms of time? Do you think? And just, just swag. I mean, this is not, there's no right or wrong answer either. So 
I think it's I think it's interesting to kind of pose the question that way because I would in my head logically I would say big enterprise needs project management, but some of the more complex projects have been that small business world because they don't have resources, money, and people to throw at the problem, and so you have to manage that very carefully. Enterprise is actually a little bit easier than anything because they they have so many resources, and by resources I mean people and money and time um, versus small business who are kind of running on very thin margins. Uh, and I think those are the people that need well, if you're that running on thin margins. You sure as hell can't afford a, what you want to, you know, a, a $200 an hour project manager on your project. It, it's investment. It's risk. It's, it's how you, how do you get from well, agree, being but, small okay. to medium? But how, how do you, but the it, bigger, it the, the, bigger the project, the more, the more you have at right. risk, the more you, right. And that takes more management to manage that right. scope and to try to reduce your risk. And by, by doing that, that means a lot more oversight. And to me, that means a lot more project management because mm-hmm. you need that oversight. Okay. So for me, that smaller business is, is key for project management because yeah. they have so much more at stake than, say, big enterprise who right. can afford to make a mistake. So if you think about what the way, you know, software projects are done, and whether that's, these are, I think they're kind of similar, but whether that's like just a straight up, you know, completely custom, you're building like a product or some, you know, some kind of application with a lot of custom code. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I hate that term. Uh, or you're like, you know, you're doing a big Salesforce, you know, implementation where there may not, there's may not be a, a lot of custom code, but you're certainly configuring this very complex, big software or set of software products, right? Mm-hmm. In either one of those, um, you know, at a high level, there's going to be uh, types of activities that you could kind of bucket things into and put that on a Gantt chart, really. But when it comes down to it, the actual tasks that need to get done are emergent throughout the project. Like you can't up front in the project, like define all the tasks you've got to do for a software development project. It's just, you don't know what they are. I mean, right. again, you, yeah, I mean, you could probably categorize things into really high level buckets, but I mean, it really lends itself towards, towards waterfall and, and old bad ways of doing things. So tip, you know, hist- I guess traditional project management kind of went out of, I mean, it went out of, of style, you know, with, with software development projects a long time ago. It's just the, the model doesn't fit. Now, uh, as a part of your software development project, let's say you're building a product. You know, you're a, you're a software product company or an ISV of some sort. I mean, there's a lot of things besides just the nitty-gritty of the build that's got to be managed and it's got to be synchronized and there are dependencies and, you know, you can't launch something until you're done with something and, you you know, when you launch it, there's all, there's all kinds of uh, you know, marketing communication stuff that's all got to be built and... and and there's got to be risk uh, managed, and you've got to know your like all the like the um, what's this category of um, oh, I can't think of what the categories are, but you've got like your budgeted cost of work versus like the cost of the work you performed. Meaning, you know, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollar budget to build something, and you've you've burned through seven hundred or seventy thousand dollars of that seventy percent of it, right? Mm-hmm. But you're really only like thirty percent done. So if you're not tracking that, I mean, those kinds of things that, 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 that a real project manager is going to do. But again, um, on the build itself, it just that model doesn't fit. But as a bigger product or an initiative or a program, it makes a lot more sense. But I still think you've got to hit a certain threshold before it makes sense to have that because you're, just, you're never going to make your money back having a project manager run a $100,000 project. It's just not big enough. And I think that's why you see this kind of combination role of project totally manager agree. slash business right. analyst. Which is why... Which is I honestly this this role that I keep talking about we're hiring for by the way we're hiring if you're a if you're a solution architect slash 
business analyst or whatever, whatever you want to, whatever you call yourself. It Why making robots? I don't know. Because the robot here. I think that was a slash, actually. Slash. I was going to say, it was four slash, stacking, backslash. Yeah. You're stacking people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what was I saying? You were hiring. Yeah, no, no, but. Uh, lost well, my, I'd, I'd mention that that that's that the this train of thought has led to the reason why we have this combination role of a product mm. manager and a business analyst, right? Um, because on again on small to medium projects, yeah, you're the person who's like the lead Salesforce consultant. They're also doing whatever project management type stuff there's need to do. I mean, someone said it. You know, basically, the, sometimes a project manager is just a meeting scheduler, and, and that's that's the case on some of these. Again, let's say it's a, a four-month project and the budget's, you know, $120,000. I mean, that's just, <clears throat> your, your lead consultant can handle that just fine managing that. Yeah. Um, it's, well, it, another, does, it doesn't require, you know, fancy formulas or big old Gantt charts and a massive plotter, and it doesn't require any of that stuff. So it, it's within the skill set of a typical, someone who's been a, a consultant or um, even even like a a really experienced Salesforce, just like if you were if you just been like an administrator. I mean, even those types of people who have led significant projects to implement certain parts of of Salesforce or other systems or or bringing on new business units, all that kind of stuff. I and mean, those are those can be significant projects. And if you're used to doing that kind of thing and wrangling, you know, herding the cats and and building consensus and and getting decisions made and and then getting 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 work done and managing risk and getting the truth out of people and um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. that's just, it's, it's a it's a skill set that a lot of people just find out there. Had they have to build, and they just kind of build on just organically th- through their role. That's not necessarily an official project manager role, right? Then they, they didn't go to the you know the what's it called the <clears throat> PM something the PMI the PMI the project management institute. What's the certification called PMP project management professional I think or something like that. Yeah, but it's managed by those, PMI, right? I think so. Yeah. And then there's the PMBOK. The project management body of knowledge. Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> I'm not a project manager, so I don't want to. I, I thought this was interesting, and I I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. Um, uh, someone on the channel said the BA should be done, or the BA should be done provided internally. Oh, I know what I know what I know what he means. Um, but I mean that's the, that's something to be explored. I mean, the BA should be an an internal um employee at the the company where the work's being done. I guess. Yeah. But I, but I find that interesting because as a as a partner in the in the Salesforce world where you where every dollar counts, every hour counts because that translates to dollars, how do you carve out a slot for someone to be non-billable yet providing value in this world that we live in? Why is it why are they non I miss the why they're non-billable? Well, we if you're saying a BA should be provided internally, are, are we is that designating that they're non-billable or billable? First of all, if they're non-billable, then how do you carve out how do you carve that out in your in your organization to say we have this non-billable that provides value? Or if they're billable, how do you express that to the client that says we have this person that's not client facing, but they're providing a lot of value to so you? So what what I think we're talking about here is company hires a Salesforce consulting company or a partner or whatever mm-hmm. to come and help them do some Salesforce project. And so maybe this partner brings, you know, a a solution architect and you know a couple of developers and whatever to the to the to the project. The company that hired the Salesforce partner needs to allocate a BA type person to that pro- to the project. Okay. So while while their you know their their expenses kind of been absorbed by or at least to some degree by this project, it's not like anyone's having to write a separate check for or their or their 
ex, you know explicitly billable. It's well, the, the consulting company wouldn't build the company for that. They they already work they already work for the the company that's the client in this case. See, I don't buy into that. I I do I, agree it, that I, it wasn't my argument. No, no, I'm just saying I I do agree that that the client should provide a certain aspect of this. I think the client should provide a project manager, and I think the client should provide a business really? analyst. Wait, 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 wait. I, I just got. Do you not agree at all with my assessment that in a lot of cases you don't need a project manager? You don't need a project manager. Depending on the project size, but I have seen it and seen it work well where the client has provided a project manager and we have provided a project manager. And I'm going to stop you right there because these are not project. I know what you're talking about and these are not project managers. No, Unless are, you're using the term very loosely. On their side, it was very well-defined project manager. On our side, it was very loosely defined project manager BA. Okay. Does that help? Yeah. <laughs> but at least at the very least, when we needed access to someone, that project manager could coordinate that. At okay. the very least, if there was discussions that were happening that needed to be internal, that project manager could say, okay, let me set up a meeting for this because this sounds like a bigger discussion than the meeting we have today, and they could herd those cats. Yeah, so that's more of almost a, a, a secretary role. It's a project manager. No, it's really not. It's a secretary How is it role. not? Because on, on large products that, have, that I've seen that have had really good project managers, they don't, they don't provide the secretary role. I mean, if you go to them and ask them, hey, who's in charge of this? I'll tell you. But I mean, they don't schedule your meetings for you. They don't do it. That's not their job. They're actually way more expensive than that. They cannot spend their time doing that kind of crap. A title is a title. Well, it is. That's my point. I mean, I can, <laughs> it's all I, just I, titles. I know. Either way, when it comes to to, to making a project work, they're like, and a, trying they're to like facilitate, the point of communication, it's, right? It's, trying to facilitate communication, it's nice to have someone on the on the client side who's able to say, "I'm the central point of communication." Now, it could go wrong if they're a bottleneck, but if they're really good at what they do and and that's what their focus is, then they can facilitate a lot of different types of communication, make sure things are going. They could do check ins and things like that, not only internally but externally to us. Um, it has worked well in certain situations. You guys have like a, an acronym for that? Uh, how about a, a CPOC? CPOC? Yeah, Central Point of Communication. Mm, there you go. You got to have acronyms on, on all these projects, right? No. You got to get the MBA speak in there. It's true. <laughs> I, I feel like I should qualify. Are we still on my, jo any, my job ad, by the way? <laughs> and any buzzword that I might use is only to make myself sound smarter. That's my qualification. yeah. yeah. And then, of course, the new people come on the project, and they synergy. Yeah, they they feel um, they're all shy and and timid until they feel like they know all the buzzwords because they don't want to. You don't they don't want to sound dumb. You know, you don't want to be the guy that asks, oh, "What does that stand for?" Except I'm the guy who always asks that. <laughs> I, I try to ask that too. I do too. I'm not afraid to ask what what that means. Or no, what, not at this point in my. Yeah, or to not, say not, I do not <laughs> understand that concept. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well. Um, do we let's talk about um did you finish your job ad did you tell yeah i think we're done i mean you, you told people where to go and everything yeah we have the website elevation.solution slash join the unicorns uh, or just reach, reach out to me like pme and slack or or if you're not in the slack you should be and we'll talk about that in a minute but email me at info at gooddayserpodcast.com that'll that'll get to me um yeah if you're not in the slack hey let's do a slack ad join our slack team info at good day spread gooddaysirpodcast.com also goes to me. That's so true. I, I could snipe, it, I could no, snipe your candidates. You're not allowed to do that. That's against our I contract. I could snap your, no, that's snipe against, your candidates. Hey, read the contract, John. You can't, you're allowed to do that. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, gooddaysirpodcast.com. Click on community. That's how you um, request to join our Slack team. You did have to provide your email address though because I have to pause. Oh my God. Why? Because I have to plug in. 
Plug in what? Oh, oh laptop. You're about to die. Oh, there you go. John's always, it's always something. It's not my fault. I was working. You, well, it's your fault you didn't check your battery. This is a, this is a very John thing to have happen right now. Really... Should we cut this out or should I just keep talking? Keep talking slides. So, but no, but no, it could be cut out for the, for the, uh, well, we can cut it out for, for those. Oh, uh, of course he's, everything's all perfectly wrapped up. You see this, it looks like he's unboxing a brand new MacBook Pro. It totally does. Like the, the, the power block is like the separate pristine thing. And then he's got these, the, the, the cables are perfectly coiled and like wrapped up. Of course, I can't say anything because I'm the exact opposite. You are. I got to pull, I got to pull the power cord out and like this just giant rat's nest falls out on the ground and probably like a couple of Coke cans and some snacks, <laughs> half eaten banana. <laughs> Talk about lightning web components. Well, maybe I'll let John talk about that. I don't know what lightning web components are. <laughs> are those those things where you can do a lightning out and host uh, lightning components on a website? I haven't, I haven't had anyone ask me to do that. Yeah, me neither. It, it, it's, there, were, there were a few instances in my past where a company would ask me to to supply data from Salesforce to their website, and we would build some kind of custom page that would go to. Sorry, I got it winded. Because <sighs> I've had a lot of whiskey. Uh, you, gotta, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta hit that treadmill, John. <clears throat> no, I stressed. I have been hitting the treadmill. <laughs> I just got stressed out and winded, so I gotta catch my breath. I really thought I was gonna lose the feed because I was had no power. Mm. But anyways, so I've had instances where companies wanted to surface some kind of data that was in Salesforce, and it was some kind of like internal, like contact list and weird things like that. It wasn't anything official, like real data being, I mean, if they were just going to do that, they were just going to have some kind of portal. But um, beyond that, I haven't had any real requests to host things that were out in Salesforce outside of it. It's kind of odd. Uh, are we talking about, would this be like a site? Yeah. Cause, cause the How do sites work in the lightning world nowadays? The same. Is it, you can have a completely lightning site? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's lightning. I mean, you can, you're, you're essentially using Lightning out on a Visual Force page, but you can do it. Oh, it has to be Visual Force? Or unless you have a community. But if you're just using the standard Lightning or site, you can't that, just put like a whole Lightning, Lightning page. page. It has to be in, in a Visual Force page. Just, it's just, it's a container. Okay. You just okay. Put a I didn't know that. Component. I thought you could use the, the Lightning, what's it called? The Lightning App Builder? Uh, what's that thing called? Oh, maybe you can. I haven't, I I haven't been asked to do that. I feel like, you know, the, as, far, as far as web component and not, uh, web component standards, I mean, all these things are, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of these things out there that are very close to web components, but they're actually not, I don't know, the whole web component standard, it's, it's, it's weird. Anyway, public community, so you can do it in a public community. Well, I, th I think you the, have to buy community licenses though, right? Or is it, are they just anonymous? They'll be, I guess, anonymous users. I don't think you can. No, not in a community. Yeah. That's a side, basically, essentially. It's, it's layers. Yeah. It's an onion. It so is. you have the site, which leads into an authenticated community. community yeah. And then everything within that is, is authenticated. But you can have a public site that's just got a guest user account and anything goes. I, someone asked me the other day about um, site licenses. And I, and I was like, well, sites don't have named users. 
So there's really no licenses. There's no site user licenses. Yeah, there you can is. Get. There are? Well, I, thought, I thought that was a community. It's a well. There's a guest user account, but someone's saying that you can any public community and you can create a hundred. Now of those you argue with me, then it completely changes the subject. You cannot buy licenses for your site users. No, because there are no. Oh, site I'm users. sorry, you can't buy a license. No, it's yeah. just it's just something that's and, there. Okay. Sorry. Now, what is an? Is there such thing as an authenticated site that is still not yet a community? I guess technically, you could. So those aren't community licenses, right? You, it doesn't matter how you use those licenses. It it just matters that you have those licenses. So I could okay. I could stand up some custom login routine on a public site that authenticates to a user, mm-hmm. and that user has a license. It doesn't really matter that it's in a community. I could do something entirely custom. It's just it, I just need right. that license there. Gotcha. And and so apparently, authenticated site licenses were a thing. I I kind of thought they were, but they, apparently they're gone. According to Chuck, mm-hmm. probably replaced with something. Yeah, community. Even even the current, most of the current um, community portals. If you look at the code, it's it's just managed package stuff or unmanaged package stuff that gets tossed in there. So the <laughs> I'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you you know you just you go and enable a community, and all of a sudden here here's all these Apex classes and all this crap. <laughs> so I have like I have except these, they don't tell you. They no, don't tell you. <laughs> no, I have all these classes now in my org that say login and password reset. I'm like, really? I thought that was all baked in. Mm. But here it is, a component for me to modify. Yep. I guess it's good. I can modify it and I can subclass it, but okay. Here's, here's some custom code for you. <laughs> yeah, classes, <laughs> pages. I think those are the main things. I don't know. Maybe other stuff too. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get to the Salesforce financials, John. Yeah, I'm going to sit back and drink while you talk about that. Now, was this their, let's see, their, Q, their fiscal year starts in Q3, February. So this, was, so this was Q3. They're in Q4 now, right? It's Q3, 19, right? It is 19. Yeah, because yep. next year will be Q4, 19, and then by summer, summer will get Q1. No, no, their Q1 starts in February, and it'll be, it'll be, right. it'll be, Q1 will be summer. Oh, no. I'm confused what you mean by that. The release cycle. Oh. The release cycle kind of tends to match their release cycles. Right now, we're on winter. So you're correlating the product releases to their I fiscal year? I, I, I just am. don't think there's a correlation there. But Maybe not. Yeah. I just it's just how I rationalized it. <laughs> uh, okay. This All is right. winter nineteen for Salesforce. But we're we're not talking about the product. <laughs> we're talking about financials. Okay. Anyway, Q three. Uh, so yeah, it, it looked like a you know pretty good one um, as far as Salesforce goes. Fairly standard. But I, I've been seeing more and more concern that I think just because in general we've had some tech companies underperforming mm-hmm. and just the, this general fear that we've got like this overinflated stock market, which we you do. could argue Salesforce is right in there with one of the most overinflated stocks. Um, so there was a lot of, a lot of concern. Um, but they uh, had a, had a, as far as Salesforce goes, a solid quarter uh, revenue year over year is up 26%. So 3.39 billion in revenue up 26%, which is, which is good. I mean, I think they've been low as like 23% before maybe. I can't remember, but that 26 is solid. But they've changed some of their, so they, they can't do deferred revenue anymore because um, about a year or two ago, or maybe it was a year ago, some kind of new, I don't know if it was FASBA or SEC, but there's, there's some kind of new accounting rule and they don't call it deferred revenue anymore. There's a new thing called RPO. No, it's not run pass option. It's uh, a <laughs> rem- remaining performance obligation. <laughs> and know that <laughs> I could come up with some interesting definitions for that. But anyway, okay, so let me let's make me back up actually to unearned revenue. 
So that's stuff that they've invoiced for and they've received a payment for like a year of Salesforce, but they haven't actually delivered that service yet. So that's, so they got $5.3 billion in that bucket and that's up 25% year over year. And the remaining performance obligation, I think is under contract, but not billed yet. Anyway, that's, yeah, that's what that is. They used to call that unbilled deferred revenues. Yeah, that's what right. it is. Uh, and that's at 21 billion. So that's, that's, a, that's a, just a good window into their future performance, actually, because that's going to get invoiced, yeah. except for people who somehow break their contract, uh, which is hard to do with Salesforce, FYI, if you ever want. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, that's going to get billed and paid. So that it's, a, it's a really good indication for future revenue. And their earnings, interestingly, so 13 cents gap for the quarter. Last year was 14 cents gap for the quarter. So interesting because, and, and if you look at the actual kind of net profit that went into that, there's more profit there. But because they keep diluting their stock, the dilution is happening faster than the profits are increasing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a big deal because I think they probably guided, for, I didn't look at what their guidance was for that, but they probably, that's probably in line with expectations or they probably would have had a, uh, would have been some, some news about that. Um, another thing I noticed though is that they're, and I don't know how to add these numbers up necessarily, but their stock-based expenses, which are basically the what we've talked about before, stock-based compensation, was a mm-hmm. dollar sixty-six per share. And their, I think the basis for that was seven hundred fifty million shares, which comes out to about one point two billion dollars. So they're they're diluting their stock by about one point two billion dollars a, a year, which is again why their gap and non-gap are still. There's still a big gap between those two things. Uh, Gross profit, this is interesting. Gross profit increased 73% to 74%, which is is good, right? I mean, yeah. It's it's moving. That's one thing I've been tracking, and it's kind of, it's kind of, it's, I would say it's been wobbling. It's been, you know, some quarters is up, some quarters it's down. Um, But RD dropped another point. I keep wanting them to increase RD, but RD went from 15% last year in the same quarter to 14% this, this year. And the marketing and sales expenses are back on the uptake again. Those, they had started to rein in, but now those have gone up 45%. Now it's up to 46% of revenue. So 46% of their revenue is spent on sales and marketing. That's the, that's the thing I'm looking for them to bend, bend, start bending that curve. It shouldn't cost so much to get people to buy this thing. You know, we're missing a big world tour right now in Dallas. Oh, is that, is that now? It's right now. I probably should have gone. You wouldn't have gone. You too busy fighting the good fight. I guess so. Doing, doing, doing actual work, doing corporate business stuff. Oh, I'm sea level stuff. You big dog. I am. I'm in the weeds as, as that graph <laughs> earlier would point out. Uh, let's see. Let me pause for one second here. Oh, never mind. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, so clouds. Let's make this a quick quiz, John. Oh no. How much was sales cloud up year over year? 20%. Um, nope. 10.7%. For sales cloud? Yep. Really? Mm-hmm. So that's not where most of the growth is coming from. Okay, service cloud. How much was it up? Well, I only said 20% because I, I figured service cloud was up at least 25%. And I think marketing cloud is probably a good 28%. Those are my predictions. Should we... Uh... Let's see here again. <laughs> I thought you could do the what? All right. Uh, where were we? 
Did you guess Service Cloud yet? No, I didn't. Service Cloud, I did. I, I said the only reason I did 20% on sales because I think Service Cloud is probably at least around 25 and marketing is about 28. Uh, so Service Cloud is 24%. Okay, not bad. Not close. Marketing Cloud, and they include commerce in that now. Marketing slash commerce cloud. Okay. 37%. Wow. Yep. I wouldn't have given it that much. I wanted to say around 40, but I thought that was too much. That was too generous. But yeah. wow, that's that's big growth. Um, and the final... Considering that the market has gotten increasingly competitive with Adobe and everything. That's why that's why we've seen this marketing war yeah. escalate over the past couple I of just, years. I just figured with, with that intense increase in competition that they'd, it would be around the 25, should call that almost 30%. They should call that the spy cloud. Spy cloud? Yeah. Yeah. All right, and the final cloud. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. That there's these, more clouds, these clouds than that. No, that's it. No, there's just one final cloud, which is the platform cloud. Oh, okay. Uh, 10%. <laughs> 51%. What? What did they put in the platform? MuleSoft. Uh, well, really? Actually, actually, I know I know MuleSoft is good for at least $100 million to $200 million a quarter. So, But not up to 50%. 51%, yeah, increase year over year. No, there's no way the platform right. grew just by including Let's go that. to regions. How much was it, how much were the Americas up? America's still got to be the biggest. Oh, no, it can't, it can't be. It can't be the biggest growth sector. So I'm going to say about 10, 10%. 24%. Really? Europe. Europe, I think, is bigger. And I want to say 25%. 28%. Pretty close. Yeah. Uh, Asia Pacific. I don't think Asia's that big yet. I I, I want to say so that includes uh, like the like. Does that include India? Uh, yeah, India. Oh. Uh, all the all the East, uh, Australia, New Zealand. Okay, I'll go about twenty five percent. Yep, twenty five percent. Yeah. And then now here's the kicker. This is what I I expected actually. Salesforce to have maybe a little bit of a ding to their stock price today, but actually opened up like about 5%. And then mm-hmm. as the general market was ended up being up like the NASDAQ, I think it was like two or three points today, it kind of rode up with that. So I think they finished like an eight or 9% up. I was expecting to be down a little bit when I first read this because of this number, which was their guidance for their 2020 fiscal year growth, what they think that will be. Total? Yeah. What, they, what do you think? So, th- so again, currently they're kind of doing this 26% growth. What do you think their guidance was for 2020 fiscal year? Well, I know the analysts are all kind of busting one for it right now. So let's say it's 30%. 20%. Really? It's yeah. down? Yeah. For for the next year? But apparently that's was expected and whatever. I just, that, that's a huge drop in their growth. And it seems odd the analysts would be so hyped up about their current trend and not factor in a drop in next year's trend. Yeah. All right. Well, that concludes your quiz. Huh. Oh man! Uh, where's my? Hang on! Oh, I missed it. Oh, you missed, missed it. it. I don't even know where it is. Where is it? Uh, there he is. Ah! <laughs> sad. <laughs> well, here. So you know, CNBC, which is uh, that's that's Kramer's network, right? Oh yeah, we we can expect some Kramer stuff here here coming up, right? Uh, yeah, I, I just I don't know. I, I've been trying to do well, less. not today, but I'm, the I'm next doing less of, of the. I mean, I've got a real job now, so I'm trying to do less of the um, the the. <laughs> but Kramer is fun. The sarcastic stuff, not it's sarcastic. Fun. Isn't the word? It's just it's all in good I know, fun. I know, but I also feel like it kind of gets boring because it's just it's the same. Kramer thing. enjoys same his thing. job. 
You think he's sitting there stressing about anything? No, he's having a good time. Yeah. We should have a good time he with him. No We're laughing idea with him. Bandit is out there. He has no idea. He has no idea. Um anyway, so that's about the your third one so far. It is not my third. It is two. No, I've counted them. How? Because you keep hitting it. <laughs> not that was the that was the biggest one, but you love hitting that microphone. All right. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So CNBC, which is Kramer's network, or the, I guess he works for them, or his show's on there. But they, they have this article, and it says, here's what every major Wall Street analyst had to say about Salesforce's blowout earnings. And they, uh, you know, here we go. Morgan Stanley, they're overweight, which means, you know, good. City, it's a buy. Oppenheimer, it's a buy. Baird, outperform. William Blair, outperform. Jeffries, buy. Evercore ISI outperform. UBS buy. Goldman Sachs buy. It's all good stuff, right? Would you like to hear a few that they didn't include? Uh, Raymond James cutting Salesforce targets. Uh, analyst Brian Peterson. Uh, I don't know. He downgrades. Uh, let's say there were three. Uh, cut the targets from, yeah, to a Cuts target, 185 to 165. Hmm. But still is a strong buy. I guess, that, well, I guess that means that he still thinks it's going up. I, I think the problem for Salesforce is that they're so tied in with the tech and big cloud stuff, so to speak. So the Facebooks, the Amazon, the Googles of the world. Well, while they don't get an honorable mention, hardly ever, which I'm sure Benioff does not like, but... Um, they're still greatly affected by what happens in those sectors and what those companies. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. To me, it, seems, it just seems like Salesforce's strategy is it's not like the Amazon strategy. It just gets so incredibly, bi- incredibly big that by, by buying your business, I mean, that's that whole 46% is spent on sales and marketing yeah, and, heard, and also all the acquisitions, right? You're just, you're just buying, you're buying business. I heard that they were going to do healthcare software now. Amazon is. That's probably part of their, yeah, they want to disrupt healthcare in general. Mm. They, just, they don't want to make software for it. They want to solve it, which includes having to make software. Good luck. I hope they do. I mean, yeah. I'm just this, I'm so screwed on healthcare. It's ridiculous. Yeah, me too. It uh, affects decisions that I could make. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's my second biggest, I mean, I could, I could get another house for the amount of money I spend on healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. All right. Um, so yeah, the, the whole, the Amazon strategy just gets so big that you can eventually just kind of monopolize in a way and put every other book, like look at Amazon, put every other bookseller out of business and every, essentially Barnes and Noble still every retail, every retail, you know, other side. I mean, even, even other places that used to be web properties that sell stuff now just mainly sell their stuff through Amazon. So they got to pay Jeff Bezos a cut of everything. It's like the Bezos tax. And then pretty soon, I mean... I mean, if you take that to the, its logical extensions, like okay, there's it's going to be a, of course, you know, and then what's going to happen is like we'll 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 break, you know, we'll get some, we'll have some politician or some kind of political movement where it's like break, we got to break up Amazon. Yeah, people were saying the same thing about it, but Walmart, mm, not like this is going to be. Yes, they this is, no, this is going to be much bigger. No, they weren't. It, they, Walmart was disrupting small business. They were killing small business. They were killing towns. They're not killing towns. They're making towns better. Walmart was accused of killing towns. Now, you can, I can accuse your, you of doing all kinds of nasty things, most of which would probably be true, but. Let's <laughs> come back to me. Did I'm you, about Walmart and you can bring it back to me. Well, no, I don't know. I can always bring it back to you, John. It's one of my <laughs> unique talents. <laughs> oh. 
I had this article that I wanted to talk about like several weeks ago. Now I've almost forgotten it, but I, I've just pulled it back up. And because Bezos made news because I guess he was in some interview and I don't know if he realized he was being recorded or what. Uh, oh, no, it was, like, it was a recording of an internal meeting that was heard by CNBC. Hmm. So CNBC, friends of Salesforce, not friends of Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> but he, this is Bezos quoting, Amazon is not too big to fail. In fact, I predict one day Amazon will fail. Amazon will go bankrupt. Is still the quote. If you look at large companies, their lifespan tends to be 30 plus years, not 100 plus years. Bezos said the goal was to delay the inevitable for as long as possible. And the way to do that was focus on customers. Uh, quote, if we start to focus on ourselves instead of focusing on our customers, it will be the beginning of the end, which that's just like standard business yeah. crap, right? We have to try and delay that for as long as possible. Uh, several Amazon employees who spoke with CNBC on the condition of anonymity so say that when you've been drinking. Uh, so, so, anonymity. A C anonymity. <laughs> anonymity. I said it. Uh, said government regulation and potential antitrust violations were quote big concerns when looking at the future. That's what I just said, right? Mm-hmm. So they get so big and they'll start dominating and they'll put all people kinds of people out of business and they'll they'll squash the market for you know AWS type competitors and all this kind of stuff. And then we'll be like, ah, oh, we got to break them up. They're a monopoly. We should never let them get this big. And, and then, of course, the other thing that going against Amazon is all this bad press they get about they're so, supposedly horrible, how, what a horrible employer they are. Not only at the warehouses, that's what gets most depressed, but remember that, mm-hmm. um, that, that news that went around for a while about that person who, you know, they have like an office job, like, a, you know, an info worker, an intelligence worker, whatever they're, what do we call these people nowadays, that was, was crying at their desk on a daily, like a crying at their desk and, and at meetings and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, they're gonna have to clean up their act. They, they've got to. They need to adopt that Benioff strategy of of getting out in front of what they know are going to be future problems. I just don't feel like they're good at that. No, Benioff is king of that. Oh, he I, is. I remember excellent. He, oh, it's um the whole uh, Elon Musk thing. So he he was building that tunnel in Los Angeles, and now he's not because some, something about the city was going to give him an exemption on some kind of environmental study, so he can drill the drill the tunnel. And apparently that caused a big uproar, and so he just—it's—it's it's got canned, and now he's going to build it somewhere else. But you—you you remember Benioff tweeted directly to Elon about building a tunnel in San Francisco, and that to me was like he—he he knew that there was going to be some controversy over that Los Angeles thing. You know, he got wind of that, and he preemptively struck and said, "Hey, why don't you go come over here? I'm the king of San Francisco. You can do it here. Yeah, you can—you can drill as yeah, much as you want." And Elon's like, "Yeah, sure, we can do that." Yeah, I mean. But the okay, the way that Elon interpreted that that request was not the way Benioff intended it. Elon took it as an engineering challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, of course I can do that. Not can you actually get it done? <laughs> yeah, California is they just they they've this this uh, high speed trail train thing is a mess. You know, because the high speed train was supposed to be that's why they built this Salesforce Transit Center. Right. The main thing was right for this. And that's what, you know, all the buses would go there and then you'd get on the high-speed train to go to, you know, down further south. All the way to LA. What are you laughing at? Alexa, play Despacito. Sorry. I had to do it. Yeah. Is there a request? Good thing I don't have mine plugged in. I don't even know where it is. It's over there somewhere. You know, did, did I tell you my Alexa started doing something weird? And it freaked me out. And I unplugged it. Because I didn't understand it, and I freaked out because I'm an old man, and mm-hmm. I don't understand technology. <laughs> it started glowing green. It would make this weird sound beep, and then it would glow green. I don't think I've seen the green. 
Well, the green apparently is that you have an incoming call. And oh. I, that was the only thing I knew about green was that you had an incoming call. I'm like, I don't have this hooked up to a telephone. Did someone find a way to hack Amazon and start doing spamming through my freaking Echo? And it turns out it was just a message. So it'll, it'll flash green if you have a message. Mine flashes well. yellow for those. For messages and notifications. No, now I was flashing green because I, I cleared the message and it stopped doing it. Can the ring do any color or is it does it have... It can do blue. Uh, green is supposed to be calls and I think red is supposed to be muted or errors. Okay, or and so I don't, I don't know what the term is for this, but it's got like, like three or four hard-coded colors, like bulbs in there. It's not just like a broad spectrum, like a Philips Hue or whatever that can do any color. I think, I don't know. I think yeah. you can. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's gradients and everything when it does its oh. little startup cycle. It's got like this blue gradient, like lighter blue over blue gradient. So to I'm me, that's just different um, intensities of the same color though. I don't know. Well, did you, did you hear that um, there's some, there's some kind of court proceeding and a judge ordered Amazon to provide all of the recordings off someone's d- uh, echo device to the court. Really? The question is now: Are we going to find out if if Amazon were to comply with that? We're going to find out these things are just like recording us all the time. I wouldn't be surprised if they were. I wouldn't be surprised, but I I don't think that's what they do. I actually really think it just is listening for the the, the key catchphrase. What is it called? The start phrase or whatever. Um, and I don't think it's recording. I think it's just like streaming. It is listening constantly, but it's not recording. But you're assuming that the that it's able to do that locally, client side. I think it, I think it listens for the catchword client side. Okay. The start word. Because even word. Siri doesn't... Well, yeah, I guess Siri will listen for the Hey Siri client side and then it'll try to connect and process your... I feel like Siri, everything it does requires the network because... When you, you can still say Hey Siri and it'll trigger. It's right. just it, it won't... <laughs> you're you're going to be pissing everybody off. Sorry. You can still say Hey... Lucky I don't have that on. I don't have that turned on my phone. But in the, like when I'm in the car and it's it'll... I'll hook it up to CarPlay and it'll yeah. say... Or I'll say... um. Oh, I'm trying to think of what I can... I mean, something that should just be local on the phone. And it'll say, one moment, Jeremy. And it's just spinning. <laughs> and I know it's because there's certain areas on the way home where I don't have good cell yeah. service. And it's like, you can't do anything that should be local without without connecting to uh, the home servers. Yeah, for me, I have to wait till I get a certain distance from my house because it's still connected to Wi-Fi and it hasn't realized I can't. it can't connect through Wi-Fi. Did I say Wi-Fi? I don't know what you're saying. I just... We Either way, I have to wait a bit until I drive away from my house before I can start talking to Siri because it thinks it's still connected to my Wi-Fi. Yeah, we need we need a better way to 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 say this without triggering people. Like this, here's a good one in the track Slack here. Hey, smart speaker, I'm a smart speaker. Okay, like I I can adopt that. Anyway, all right, John. Well, what's uh, what's on your docket this week? Everything. Uh, are you interested in the Dragonfly project that Google? I don't know anything about it. I, I saw the headline on that, but I didn't don't know anything about it. Tell me about it, John. Um, it's not worth talking about then. Okay. I need your perspective. Mm. Well, why don't you... Did you see my politician you, point? Why can't you tell me about it? And then we can talk about it. It's, it's, it's a project for enabling search in China who has very strict requirements on what can be searched. So in other words, the project is is essentially to to enable Google search, but with censorship. And their employees don't want them. To and their do employees that. don't yeah. want them to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, thought, I didn't read about this. And I, I don't know it gets into the, the realm of politics, but I kind of. Now, what's I, Google's incentive to do this? Is it just it's irresistible how much money they can make? Ad yes. money? Okay. Yes. Okay. But at the same time, there, there is another 
concept to this. So like if, if, this, if this was Benioff, Benioff would see it as a plus because he could, he could get in, he could make his mark and say, now I have some effect on their policy, just like he did in Indiana. He had a certain amount of employees, he had a certain amount of revenue that he brought in through conferences and everything, and he could affect policy by saying, I'm going to pull out unless you consider these other options. Right. Um, which was effective. And so there's kind of two sides of this coin. You could argue and say that, okay, yes, by developing this, yes, you're increasing the, the government's ability to provide censorship, but at the same time, you could use it as an in to get in and make yourself invaluable to the point where you can affect policy. So that, that was my perspective on it. I, I feel like there's two sides to this, that it's not just one side, there's two different strategies you could approach with this. Okay. I don't necessarily think that rejecting the world and rejecting other markets and isolating yourself from other markets because you don't like what they're doing is a valid strategy for business. And I don't think it's a valid strategy for affecting policy change. I think you should try to participate, follow the rules and then find ways to, I don't, I don't know how else to say this, but use your, your impact in that market to affect the policy. I just think if they're going to go into China, it's the Chinese government is going to be operating Google. And, and that, and the question for Google is like, how much are we willing to let our principles slide? How much is it, how worth it? You know, is it worth it? It, it can be done. I mean, look at Hong Kong. Hong Kong was, is, is, was very much a British controlled entity. Totally recently. Right. A capitalist. Yeah, absolutely. Which, because it was not under China. And it still operates. It's under capitalism. It's still, yeah, but it's still. And they, it's, kind of, they kind of allow it, it to operate that way because it brings them revenue. Yeah. I, and I'm not a Hong Kong expert, but I mean, it's still pretty independent it yeah. does operates like you know none of the normal mainland china stuff right just like taiwan I and mean, it's <clears throat> it's you know china still claims taiwan but um it operates for somehow or another i don't get it china kind of leaves it alone <laughs> I, don't like, I don't know how they i don't well, I'm I not sure how it, taiwan it brings the money it, it 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 brings the money i think it brings in yeah, revenue it's also it's, it's kind of a black eye for them too so i i, I don't know this is Getting into geopolitics here, which is uh, yeah, because people ask like us go say it brings you money, do this. Yeah, <laughs> but um, anyways, I I thought that was interesting because I I think there's two sides to that argument. Um, another one I'm really fascinated by Microsoft. I'm really fascinated by I'm too. You know, what I'm fascinated by is how is the idea of them buying Adobe. Yeah, did you see those rumors? With that, I did. and I thought I hadn't thought of that before, but that would be would be quite the acquisition. What's Adobe worth? Adobe market cap. Blah, blah, blah. No dead air. No dead air. How do I say market cap? Um, $121 billion. I, th- I think, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's pretty steep. That's more than, that's uh, Salesforce worth more than that now, right? Let's see Salesforce. Their market cap? Yeah. No, it's not that I, high. I think it? It is. Salesforce, 106. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's around hundred. Yeah, I thought Salesforce was at hundred, but yeah. Um, there's also rumors. I don't know if it was. I don't think it was rumors. It was just an idea. Like, wouldn't it be interesting if Google bought Salesforce? Yeah, it's certainly an idea. It's not a rumor. It's. I, I think it's an idea. I just don't think Google would know how to operate Salesforce. It's just so different. I don't think Google it's would very high touch enterprise. Stuff. I don't think Google would have to know how to operate it. They would just that's, need to let it exist as it point. exists and right. bring it into its portfolio or. More accurately, bring it into Alphabet's portfolio. Well, that's what I meant. Yeah, sorry, Alphabet. Yeah, but no, I I think uh, I think Microsoft's turnaround is is very interesting to me. Um, 
Satya did what what I think we should they should always do, which is open up their technology and and participate in the technology community. Um, I, I I read this article that I thought was interesting. I can find it. I'm reading the wrong thing. Darn it. Uh, so Satya credits a lot of what he envisioned for the company as a from a book he read called Mindset, not Mindful, but Mindset. Uh, and I actually downloaded that book. Um, I'm so unprepared. Thought I was prepared. Developers, 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 developers. I'm still vamping for you here, me and Balmer. Developers, 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 developers. Yes. God, he was sweating like a freaking sweat hog at that point. I just assume he's always sweating like a sweat hog. He did way too much coke before he went out on that stage. Hey, when you're worth that much, you you can afford to do a little coke before you go on stage. That's that's allowed. There's people to handle that side of it. You can look at this little, uh, what are these called? This little emoji in Slack here. You can even see that sweat ring going like halfway down his chest. (laughs) He was sweating way before he got on stage, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, it's bad. He was just sweating. Oh, okay. Did you figure out your... Uh, I did. I okay. kept clicking on this other article, and it was some Wall Street Benioff article. It's probably one we already talked about. Um, but yeah, he he credits this book. Um, and it's interesting because this this book kind of covers the kind of psychological mentality of how people succeed and what they do to succeed and how they strive to succeed. And so he took from it um, some concepts, and particularly the concept of always wanting to learn, not being a know-it-all, but being a, a, what's called a learn-it-all. And I thought that was pretty interesting because that's kind of how I approach things. I try not to be a know-it-all, although there are cases in my career where I felt like I understood something and I felt like I knew everything about that and I would make a decision on that and it would fail me. Um, but for the most part, I try to be in the camp of a learn-it-all where I try to accept what I don't know and try to learn what I can to accomplish what I need to, to accomplish. Um, and I think that's a, that's a great environment to set up. If that's the culture he's setting up, I think that's a, that's a great message to be sending. Uh, and particularly, this article talks about the um, what was that bot called on Twitter? Was it Tay or something like that? I don't know. But some bot, and it was it was talking about how he handled that with the team that developed that. Um, obviously, they developed this bot that had some machine learning behind it that would take some input. Oh, the racist bot. The racist bot. Oh, okay, yeah, you should have said the racist bot. Okay, yeah. the racist bot. <laughs> And um, his response to the team was that, you know, hey, keep learning from this. Keep, keep developing. Keep going. Don't stop. You know, it wasn't a hand slap. We're shutting down this department. Your guys are gone. No, because it was AI. It, it, it learned racism from yeah. what it observed. It doesn't – that's the thing. With, we talked about this with AI. Like, the problem with AI is it has no opinions. It has no principles. It, it just right. – it's just observing, observing patterns and data. It, it's almost like taking a three-year-old and putting him out in the world and say, hey, survive. And then yeah, it, it gets nurtured by yeah. this toxic environment yeah. of, of trolls yeah. that want to just, I don't know. Do and that's a great example things. because AI is about as smart as a three-year-old. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, but I thought, I thought it was interesting that, that his perspective wasn't that we failed, we should shut this down and move on to something else. It was that we failed, keep trying and learn from this. And what did we learn and keep growing from that? So he's trying to set up this culture where... They want to learn from their mistakes. They want to learn from the past and move forward from it. And I, I got to say, I got, I see that. I see that in everything they're doing with, with the open sourcing of their technologies, with the way they handle things that are, that are happening internally that failed or, or, or succeed. 
um, all those things. So uh, it's a book that's on my reading list now. Um, where is it? Hold on. I want to give credit to the whoever it is. Vamp for me. Vamp for me. Can't have dead um, air. You want some more? Hang on. Let's see. Okay. So it's a book by a Stanford psychologist, Carol Dweck. Uh, and her book's called Mindset. So make sure you, there is a, there's a few books called Mindset. So make sure you're, you're looking at the one that's called Carol Dweck. Um, I downloaded the sample of it. I read it. The first chapter first chapter and kind of explaining with the mindset and the rationale around it seemed to resonate with me. So it is a book I'm going to add to my reading list, but it's kind of third in line. But um, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting and I wanted to recommend reading that book. Cool. Uh, what's also on my reading list, <laughs> since I brought that up, is um, you remember when I was talking about the whole architecture thing, I felt like I really missed the boat on my design patterns and everything else that I was trying to do when I kind of over-architected the solution. It's the JavaScript thing? Yeah. Okay. Well, it was, it was the lightning thing, but yeah. it, it had all these apex concepts, number four, <laughs> apex concepts that I was just kind of, kind of over-engineering these, these uh, layers, although I did add a new layer. <laughs> I did have to add a new abstract layer, virtual layer, virtual layer, because in Salesforce, it's not abstract, it's virtual, but it, it was a virtual layer that they had. Abstract. There, there was a bunch of things. There's a bunch of redundant code, but this time it was informed by my current code set. I was noticing that there was some redundancy and I was like, you know what? I can move this into a single class and extend that class and I can get the benefits of that inheritance. I can just say super whatever and then start extending it from there. Um, so I felt that was a better way of approaching it than my original approach, which is just, I need interfaces. I need factories, I need concretes, I need implementations and all these kind of things, and I need all these layers. Um, so I felt like this time around, I let the code and as it evolved kind of inform me of when I needed a pattern versus just saying I needed a pattern up front. And that's kind of like the, the, the rationale for TDD. Yeah, pretty you much. You let the design kind of just emerge, <laughs> and then when you realize you've got, you need a couple of more implementations of some concept, or you need to extract yeah. a, like an interface out of a class, I mean, that's why these tools have these Really common refactoring to extract an interface from something or whatever. Yeah. So I, I basically, I, I have a bunch of stuff on my reading list, but I, and I have it prioritized on what order I want to read it in because I have priorities and the, there's so many books and I only have so much time. That's true. <laughs> so I moved uh, Clean Architecture back up to the top of the list and clean I've been reading architecture. that. Clean Architecture? Who, who wrote a, that? Uncle Bob. Clean Architecture? No, Clean yeah. Code. No, he wrote Clean Architecture oh, really? too. Okay. I'm, clean Code, hmm. uh, Clean... Something else. <laughs> clean car? I don't know. Was it? He writes a lot of clean stuff. It's going to really extend this brand. <laughs> yeah. Everything he does. And I also moved um, enterprise integration patterns back up because I kind of felt like I'd attribute on that a bit. Enterprise integration patterns? Yeah. Have you read that one? I have. Okay. And I need to reread it. Yeah, because that's kind of yeah. forgot it. I, it was mentioned in the Slack and I was like, you know what? I haven't read that in a while. I probably should reread it and refresh my memory because I felt a like... I felt like at this point in my career, I've read these things and I feel like I know them. But then when I go back and reread them, I go, I forgot about that. Yeah. Or I do this and now I know why I do that because it's here. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just it's just an ongoing thing where I need to relearn the things I did that, that with I a lot of books. Even, even things like the pragmatic programmer. Like that's, to me, that's like a, yeah. you got to read. Like, I don't know. I feel like for the first 10 years of your career, just like read it once a year. You can read it on a plane flight almost. It's, it's not that bad. Well, Peopleware is also on my list of, books to reread every so often. And I tell people like, I think it's the first three chapters of um, Eric Evans' Domain Driven Design 
where they really talks about just how to communicate and like uh, ubiquitous language and yeah. how to work together with technical and business people um, so that they see, I don't know, it's just all about using the same language and, and, and um, uh, evolving a design in a way that like everyone understands. Yeah. And that's just something that there's, there's not many people b- better than Eric Evans at, at describing that and teaching that. Like I can try to explain it to you, but you just you, you got to read the first three chapters. But people are yeah. so hesitant to read stuff. I don't. It just annoys me. I can't. I mean, there's people <laughs> that I've worked with for a long time. I can't get to read anything. Just read this. You'll and understand. You know, and it's like they're pretty good at what they do, but it's like they just. It's like I, they're always going to be kind of stuck, kind of limited because they just won't. You know, they don't. They just don't. They don't have that language, so you can't talk to them about certain kind of process stuff or tech stuff or whatever because. Or concepts, they just they don't they don't have. I mean, they're good. They get by without it, but they can. I'm like, hey, and this person get like really up their game if they would just take, you know, just I don't know, take it a little more seriously. Yeah, I think I think the danger with reading books is that you might have that person that takes the book literally and doesn't try to absorb the knowledge and apply it. Instead, they're, they're those people yeah. that you go, no, I, I can tell you just read a book because you're trying to implement a bunch of crazy shit yep. and you don't understand it. No, I, I, I keep a cattle prod for someone. Someone uses a term that's not in the official ubiquitous language um, <laughs> uh, like compendium. Ubiquitous language impendium. Compendium. Compendium. I, I think you're a victim of what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean by that, but I, I probably am. I don't understand compendium. I'm a victim of a lot of things I say, unfortunately. <laughs> what does compendium mean? Compendium. Define. Define compendium. Come on, John. I didn't yeah, take the like, SAT, so you have to be patient with me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a simple, I'm a simple man. You gonna read the definition or what? A collection of concise but detailed information about a particular subject, especially in a book or other publication. Or perhaps lexicon would have been a. I can understand lexicon. Okay. Compendium, I, I didn't understand. So okay. I just added a new word to my vocabulary. To your compendium. To my compendium. Yeah. <laughs> to your lexicon. <laughs> oh. That's what this podcast is for. I guess so. To make us seem smarter. Well, we're at an hour and 12, but we didn't really go live for a while because yeah. I started recording early. Yeah. Well, there was one thing that I've been working on lately that I didn't get to last time, uh, and it was around error handling and lightning. And I know you love lightning. No, I love it. Love talk I'm, about I'm doing a lot of lightning learning these days. Are you doing a lot of lightning coding? Um. Yes. Have you? Watch I, out! I, I want to hear Watch about out. your lightning experience. I'll probably. I probably. I'm. I, I'm going to give a. I'm going to give an update at some point. <laughs> you can't say that. You can't say you've been doing lightning and, and punt and say. I'm no. Gonna, I just. I want to. I want to have. I want to have more informed opinions. I don't know. I, I feel like once you. Are you when you, you like been, my uninformed opinions? No. I. I just. <laughs> I just feel like. I'm waiting for the day when you come in and you go. What the hell is that freaking JavaScript helper and what's a JavaScript controller and how do uh, I use those I, I and how do like I come past that part? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still don't. I have not come up with a good best practice for them. Because there's to, no such thing as best practices. I try to See? use. You're, you're, no, I'm just saying <laughs> you can't. Do I the don't impossible. have a strong opinion on how to use a controller properly. At, at best, my controller is nothing but a dispatcher to the helper because it feels like I know that the controller exists for every component and there's a copy of it for every component. So I'm like, okay, I want to keep that as light as possible. So that means all it can do is dispatch to a helper, and that helper will take a, a, a input of the component and do everything it needs to do. 
So it just it. I don't I don't, don't feel so bad about about keeping it that slim because yeah, there's an instance for every component, but a ton of the stuff is static. Like the code, the methods, all the static stuff is it. There's only one copy of it. I know, but most of the stuff I do interacts with a Apex class, which means there's a there's a concept of the asynchronous callout type thing, and I I can't always use a promise where I want to because I because of the way things work. That's, Brett has come up with a lightning best practice. Don't. <laughs> I'm skipping a platform. What is what's skipping? What platform am I, am I skipping? Aura. Did I skip it? I think I'm using it. Are you using it? I, I, I assume so. <laughs> All right. Well, back to my topic, and that is that I I, I felt that I needed to up my error handling game because my error handling has been pretty lame, to be honest. Mm. Um, I basically have a controller Salesforce confessions <laughs> I basically have an Apex controller that has no error handling and I let that bubble up and what that translates to is a uh, a generic Salesforce error message that says something like sorry to interrupt you I think is what it says but there was some fatal some error and it's, it's, it looks official but it looks different from like a toast message it just looks like this official error message and it looks like the thing just crapped itself um, and so I was like, okay, there's got to be a way to, better. So what I did in the interim while I was still trying to develop modern day GAC. E exactly. <clears throat> so what I started doing was I started writing single page GAC every, <laughs> sorry, single page GAC. <laughs> you're just trying to, you're trying to troll for titles. Uh, no, that, that would be a good one. <laughs> single page GAC. Is GAC, is GAC, uh, is that all caps? I think I've seen it. I don't think it stands for anything. I've seen it always. Lowercase, uppercase. Because, okay. you know, case. Apex is all caps. <laughs> Which is annoying. It is annoying. Apex is annoying because it's not case. Just like Java. People, people love to do Java in all caps. That's how you can tell when people really don't know what they're talking about is when they put Apex in all caps or Java in all caps. It's a good tell. Oh, good, because I don't. So now yeah. I feel like part of the elite. Yeah. I'm, I'm an elite. What do they call it in hackers? What do they call elite hackers? I don't know. Elite hack? I don't know. I don't know. Someone will tell me. Um, so anyways, I upped my, my uh, error handling game, and I, I basically went back to the documentation to figure out what is it I'm supposed to be doing. Because prior to this, I did notice that I was getting these generic error messages, and I was like, okay, so now everything in my control is going to have an official response message. And so there's never going to be an error thrown. It's going to be a response. Everything's going to have a response. If an error, if an error happens and if exception happens, it's going to wrap it in this response. Mm -hmm. And that response is always going to come back and say, here's it succeeded. Yes or no. And here's the message. Um, what I learned uh, is that there's a, a exception, a special exception, a magic exception called uh, apex error handler. So it, I'm sorry, aura handled exception. Sorry. That's the official name. You took my whiskey. <laughs> I didn't. Was I drinking too much? No, I'm, I got to refill. I'll finish that bottle. I didn't, I'm not taking it away from you. I'm just... No, oh, hey, oh, hey, I could just do the honors now. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, that was nice hearing it from this end. Oh, that was, that's the sound of a cork popping through an electro, electro voice RE20. Because <laughs> I'm sure everyone has been waiting to hear that precise sound. Uh, some people, I know Chuck was. Some people hate it and some people like it. <laughs> I know. It's okay. It's a, it's a, a 50 50 yin and yang. We're a love hate kind of thing. Why am I saying yin and yang? I don't know. You're, I, that's you been a thing it. in my head. Where did I get that from? I don't 
China? Kung Fu Panda. Oh. I've been watching too much Kung Fu Panda lately. So anyways, there's a class called Aura Handled Exceptions. So essentially, if you... if you, And by the way, Chuck says don't use it. It still sucks. It does still suck, but it's better than nothing because it, it will at least show your message to the user versus this, this generic whatever handled it. Generic interrupt, sorry to interrupt you, an error happened message. Um, I looked at a blog post that covered it and their suggestion, which isn't a bad idea given the constraints that we have, is that if you do want to provide special error handling or at least detailed information about the error back to your client-side JavaScript stuff, is that you could create a custom object and serialize that into a JSON string, put that as the message of your or handled exception, and when that when you process that on the client side, you can parse that into a Java object, and you can then access those properties and act accordingly. Um, so that that's definitely upping Java? JavaScript. Okay, did I say Java? You did. I just okay meant JavaScript. Okay, and you can process that using JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you'll have the details you need to be able to respond accordingly. So that's kind of the approach I've been taking. Most of the time, I'm just kind of re- reporting back a message saying, hey, I couldn't do this. Um, but other times, I do need to provide detailed information to my... You are a wuss. I've been drinking this straight the whole show. Yeah, that explains a lot. Keep going. You insult me, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah that does say a lot about me doesn't it um so anyways i think uh, you need to check slack i do yeah you're, you're getting you're getting real-time correction here i think this is actually it looks like this might be good to to read <clears throat> yes every controller would have a try catch but it would throw an apex i'm sorry an aura except handled exception and if you want, if you wanted to, you can you can pass it in the constructor of it. You can pass it a message, and that would get displayed. Or, well, it wouldn't get displayed. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. Whenever I handle the call from the Apex controller, which is an asynchronous, basically AJAX call, I get back the error message, and I I parse that, or I access the error messages of that, and I display that as a toast. So that's what gets displayed to the user. So now I have a way to display that error message from my Apex controller back to the user. But in scenarios where I need more detailed information, stop looking about that. In, in, in situations where I need more detailed information to understand how I want to handle it, I will create a custom class that will serialize into JSON. As part of that message, I will parse that message back into an object, a JSON object, JavaScript object, and then decide what to do with it at that point. So uh, I'm still following that pattern. That's, that's, that is the pattern. Um, that's what you have as, as an option versus having to basically create a wrapper response message for every one of your Apex controller classes. What that did for me is that a lot of my classes were very simple. They would make a call. um, And in my try-catch, I would have to basically have a lot of extra lines of code that would say, here's the response, grab the response, is it it successful or not, return it, all that kind of stuff. Now I'm back to just a try, call the method, if it fails, here's the exception, return that, throw that message, and I'm back to very minimal amount of code in my controller, Apex controller classes for Aura. So I'm reading here that you're, you're close, except you don't return an Aura handled exception. You always just return like your own custom response. The server should admit a clean 
response, not an aura handled exception. It's 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 the same difference. Okay. You're either either wrapping everything and creating a bunch of extra classes for responses. So if I have a in in my paradigm, the controller handles a lot of different types of messages. It's not just here's a component, go get some data, return it. It might get it might know how to handle getting data, it might know how to handle getting metadata, it might know how to handle retrieving data. That one controller is actually pretty big. Um mainly because I see it as a dispatcher more than anything. All it does is call out to a bunch of other service objects or what I call service objects. So it's just I mean, it's a, a controller. That's a con it's a controller. The, yeah. the correct dispatcher. There's no is a, real logic yeah. in it. So right. for me, it should to, be very thin, right? For me yeah. to provide a bunch of extra cons or constructs of structured data that says here's the response for this and here's the response for this. That's that could be ten different classes or data structures that I have to build, and I feel that's not necessary. And that's and you're also feeling the pain of a of a static language, right? Also, so in this in this perspective. I don't have to invent or create every a new class for every different type of response that I want to build. So I leverage that aura handled <laughs> exception um, by either serializing some JSON or building a string of JSON or however I want to handle that so that I don't have to incur the expense of creating another class, another data structure, another data type to to handle that. It's just, I, I can just easily so do that. Someone else points out, and I don't know why I can't, why don't you return, um, instead of having... Yeah, like to your, use your term, custom classes for all these things. Why don't you just return a map of of like string, like just a map of or a list of? Yeah, I guess a map, a string to object. So it's it's almost like you know your own little <laughs> data type there that can. I thought about doing that, but I felt it was less testable. I felt like my ability to unit test that type of generic data structure was iffy. I felt like if I had if I had strongly typed data structures that I knew what the testing would yield. That I was better off. So I, I did think about that. I, in fact, in one of my iterations in one of the projects that I developed, I did have this kind of generic response class that I would extend to other classes that basically would provide a single property of here's the response data, but it would have like the success message and the error message and all those kind of things. Um, but I, I just thought that was too much. I felt like, what are you doing? No, put it down. Damn it. Jeremy's taking a picture of me. I don't know why. Uh, to me, it was just simpler to throw the, the exception and let JavaScript handle it on the client side. Um, like I said, I felt like I was over-engineering it. I was overthinking it by trying to provide some kind of custom error handling, some kind of custom thing. Now, if I was developing an application and I was an ISV, I, I absolutely would go down that route. But I'm I'm this 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 ad hoc, I need a custom related list. I need a custom activity timeline. I need a custom filter list. I need a custom whatever. These are all just one-off isolated components. And I feel like building this infrastructure around this this kind of one component just wasn't value add. So in, in those scenarios, I just throw an aura, aura handled exception. I got to remember <laughs> to say that. Um, and that, well, that was the simplest hey, and quickest, easy way fine. to get where I, I, I like to that. Be. I mean, I like the, the pragmatic choice here, right? You just, you know, the simplest thing that could possibly work. Yeah. I, I, I'd like to follow that quite often. I feel like I'm justifying it, but I'm not. There's also a I think, there, I think there's value to trying to explore some of the more simpler side of things because I do tend to over-engineer things, and I'm very cautious of that. And I've been told that, and I've been asked that, and I've been challenged that over and over that. Have you, have you overcome your over, your ability, your, 
need to over abstract things. Yeah. There's a, and I'm not sure if we exactly hit on it, but there's this other pattern that you learn at some point when, <clears throat> I don't know, I guess any, any kind of software, but particularly enterprise software, is that, you know, how to, how to, how to deal with exceptions and where should you, where should you catch exceptions? Yeah. When should you catch, what, you know, when do you just let them, let them go? And it was, it was from this podcast and from learning from you that I changed my methodology on that. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, I've, it's one of those things I've, I've seen people who are, you know, have been software engineers for, you know, a decade and still struggle with that. And well, I mean, I don't think you ever, you always have to think about your, you your strategy on it, it but, yeah. but struggle with just the, some of the basic concepts. Cause you know, you don't, you don't learn this in computer science degree or anything like that. You know, you've got to learn it just from, I don't either. I don't have, I'm just saying they don't, that's not in a computer science curriculum. Um, but there's this, uh, I would say there's a couple of, a couple of patterns here. One is that if you're not going to do something to either fix or handle the exception, don't catch it. Right. Don't catch it. Just let it go. Because there's something higher up in the call stack that may be able to do something or at least may not be able to fix it, but at least uh, recover in some way. Right. So if you're not going to, if you're going to catch it and then do nothing or just like just log, then don't do it. Right. There's an exception to that though. There's an exception to that exception rule, which is the, the top, the top part of the call stack for a given layer. So let's say it's your data layer. Okay. Okay. And whatever's at the, the top of the call stack of your data layer it needs to, even if it can't fix it, it needs to catch, usually, I mean, not necessarily, but if you want to be, for logging reasons, it's, it's, I'll say it's acceptable to catch, log, and then rethrow. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've been trying to do lately, is that if I'm going to catch an error at a lower level, is I, I, my rule is that I need to catch it and provide context. If I, if I can catch it and provide context, then that's a valid use of it. If I can't catch it and provide context, then I'll just let it bubble up. But if I can catch it and provide additional context, thinking that somewhere up, higher up in the line, I can kind of catch that exception and say, okay, I know what to do with this type of error message and recover somewhat, or at least provide a value-add message back to the user, then that's a reason to catch and rethrow. Otherwise, I've learned to try not to. Before, I would catch it, return a null so that I had something to kind of compare against and say, well, if I get a null back, then that means I can't do it. And f what I would call fail gracefully. But it was, what I was really doing was swallowing errors and, and preventing proper troubleshooting. Yeah, exactly. And because you're preventing other actors, whether they're people, programmers, layers, whatever, from doing anything about it. Because you, you're taking their opportunity to possibly right. some, do something with it. All right, John. What else? What else is on your mind? I'm just gonna let you keep rolling, man. <laughs> Until you, I don't know. Well, not much longer. Until I give up. What, anything? Is there anything else that's you know burning you up that you want to get out? Want to share? Uh, I thought the GitHub affecting policy thing was pretty interesting. You didn't see that. that. So tell me what Slack. that's about. That was posted on our Slack. Uh, okay, I missed it. Sorry. Uh, how I changed the law with a GitHub pull request. Oh, that sounded interesting. I didn't read it though. Tell me about it. I didn't yeah, okay. Nope. <laughs> Not going to do that one. It sounded first, first rule of podcasting, don't bring up a topic that you don't know, that you don't know anything about. <laughs> I read it. There, there were some errors in, in the... So I guess they posted the law on GitHub, which I don't understand. Um, but there were some errors in the law, and I don't know if that was a replication of the official documentation or a error in translation to GitHub. But essentially, there was an error in the law. It was some kind of... 
numeral error, like it was referencing numeral one when it should have referenced uh, re- referenced root numeral two, from what I understand. And the pull request was you need to reference number two, not number one, for this particular mm-hmm. thing. And never it, get confused when you need to do a number two instead of a number one. It's I know it's a, it's a, it's a fatal flaw. <laughs> Unless you're always sitting. If you always sit, then it's okay. Yeah. You confuse the yeah. two. But if if you sit or stand, you don't want to confuse that. And I, and I get it. Sometimes you you just want to sit. You know, I'm not going to shame you for that. I always sit. Okay. Well. Don't you always sit? Uh, My wife no, always makes me no, sit. No, no, I'm kidding. I can stand. I know. I know how to. I know how to. I know how to make it in the toilet without sitting. I'm allowed to stand as long. You as never learned that. That's as long I, as I wipe afterwards. Yeah. I'm allowed to stand. <laughs> What's the saying? If you uh, if you sprinkle when you tinkle, be a sweetie. Wipe the CD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my big my big thing is I always look every time I go in the bathroom. I always look. Why can't they always look? Why can't women always look? That's an ongoing argument. You don't get me started on this. I'm afraid my wife might listen. <laughs> <laughs> I always look. I have to know whether it's up or down so I can do my business. Exactly. Why can't you uh, always look before you do business? Yeah. You can't just sit down and say, I fell in the toilet and blame it on me because I left it up. Right. That's, 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 I don't get, we cannot win in this situation, no, John. So no, we're going to, we're going to drop in it. Trouble. I'm in the doghouse. <laughs> I'm in the backyard. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to need to bring extra blankets home. Well, John, uh, the only other thing I had was, um, no, that was it. That was it. Okay. Was it. Oh, it was the, it was the Apple hypocrisy. There's an article about how analysts are kind of, kind of. <laughs> Go ahead. No, you're laughing. I got to look at the slack. It's, I got to find out why your you're yak laughing. Tongue. You're getting yak tongue. So that means we need to wrap it up soon. I'm done. <laughs> no, let's Goodbye. talk about the Apple hypocrisy. And to that, I say. Uh, no, we're not done yet. Let's come on, do the Apple hypocrisy, and then we'll wrap it up. So the Apple hypocrisy is that um, anytime they don't they don't show some kind of peak in their iPhone sales, the analysts really key in on that iPhone sales. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fact they tend not to factor into it, the amount of money they have, the amount of cash they have, the the revenue they do. The even though the the sales are maybe stagnant, yeah. their their amount, their ability to bring in more revenue. For the same amount of sales, they're not factoring any of that in, which to me, if I was to apply that same methodology to Salesforce, it's completely opposite. They, they value Salesforce so much higher and relatively don't. I mean, obviously, they we're talking about two different beasts here. Apple's got billions of cash in the bank, literal cash in the bank. Salesforce has billions in projected revenue, not cash. But either way, the way the analysts kind of project Salesforce versus Apple and those kind of things kind of it really makes me think. I mean, you have Salesforce is the darling of the of the analysts who say they're always beating, they're always growing, they're a strong buy, 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 buy because they're growing, growing, growing. And then you have a company like Apple who's got billions in the bank. So it's it's they're just cash sitting around is somewhere around three hundred billion dollars. Yeah. It's, and yet it's, analysts completely beat out, beat, well, beat them up over it, over their, their no, continued... No, they're not beating exploit. them up over that. And for the first, first of all, part of this is just they're a public company, and this is what you face the public companies. You, I agree. You always, have to ha- I agree. you always have to have growth, and even your growth percentage has to, has to grow, or at least has to stay steady. And if there's a drop in growth, you're still growing, but the growth has dropped. But we're talking um, about the purpose of the of the market. We're talking about the purpose of being able people to make buy, money people, off no, of your investment. The stock price is based on what people think the how the people think the company is going to perform in the future. That's why Salesforce. We talked about it's always 
richly valued because a lot of people believe that Salesforce is going to just kill it like a hundred times more than they are now. And their stock price, the price you're paying for the stock right now is based on that. Right. So they're and saying so if they, they start, if so they start they, falling if, short if of that. If they invest a dollar, they'll make $2. If they, if they invest 10,000, no, they'll make 20,000. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's that kind of mentality. It's, well, it's the gross, pro, it's the growth prospect on their investment. Right. And so and right now, a certain amount of growth is built into the current stock price. Right. And that growth is not as high as what people expected when they paid a certain amount for the stock. Then that's that's disappointing, and that's going to affect the stock price. And analysts are going to say they're underperforming right. on this, which is it's all fair. I mean, it's it's no, it's it's fair. But I think I think Apple is a different prospect. Apple is a more stable prospect, at least at this right. point in time, right. than it used to be. But at this point in time, if you want to invest your money and have it hold steady, maybe do a little bit of growth here and there, I think it's a good prospect. I'm not an analyst. Don't take that as advice. But I think I think it's two different mindsets when you're talking about Apple versus Salesforce. And I I just thought it was interesting to kind of see that difference in how the analysts approach those two different companies, yeah. considering that Apple has billions and billions of cash, almost a trillion, or at one point they're valued at a trillion. Are they still? And there's there's been points there's been points where Apple has had more cash on hand than the United States federal government. Yeah, I mean that's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. To hear, to hear sure that, that Apple well, just didn't meet their targets. It's, they're it's the short term thinking. They're on the downturn. Right. It's it's the short it's just, right. It's the short term thinking. Yeah. But again, l- a large component of of in the investment community is very short term thinking. So you're always going to get that. Yeah. Anyways, I, mean, I, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting how analysts approach the different the companies in different ways. Yeah. That kind of pick managers. Yep. All right, John. Well, we talked about how to join the Slack. Um, you can send us an email at info at goodaysirpodcast.com. That's uh, we, I'm not we, doing any more we live accept, shows. We accept questions. This is the last live show. You're, you're, inter- you're interrupting my house I don't care. here. Everyone says I'm... When are those shirts going to be ready, John? What shirts? I don't know. You talk about shirts. Keep bugging about it. Hey, how's that, um, how's that pet project you were working on? Remember that... Uh, <laughs> We don't talk about App Club. <laughs> the, the App Club? Yeah. First rule of App Club is don't bug, John. Yeah. We don't what is Cactus that. Force? Cactus Force? Mm-hmm. Is it Cactus Force? Yeah. I'm, I'm being asked to plug it. I'm going to Google it. Oh, by the way, oh, I'm, I'm hiring Salesforce consultants and Salesforce admins who want to dip their toes in the consulting solution world. Architects. Yeah, solution architects. Exactly. So you're not hiring technical architects because you won't hire me. You're that or you don't like me. <laughs> Why, why is it not? Why can't it be and? You just don't like me. No, you, you missed it. <laughs> you didn't even offer me anything. <laughs> I couldn't even have the opportunity to say no, no Jeremy. No. I can't. There'll be a conflict of interest. Of hmm? interest. Okay. All right. So there is a Salesforce developer conference called. I think I saw about this. I might want to go to this Cactus Force on oh, Phoenix, our old stomping grounds. January twelfth. Did you ever go to Phoenix? I did. Of course, I did. I went to Phoenix. Phoenix. You you met Sarah and I out at Phoenix one year in like the down like two thousand three oh, yeah. or something, and we didn't we go up to Grand Canyon together. Yeah, God, you your memory sucks. No, I remember it because you paid for everything. Oh well, it's because I'm a nice guy. You are. Jeremy really is a nice guy. Oh, he's an awesome guy. Yeah. Don't let it. Don't let my secret out. I have to keep up appearances, John. Uh, yeah. So January twelfth in Phoenix, Arizona. Some kind of uh, all code, no fluff. I like that. It's kind of a play on um, what's the what's the Java conference? Something someone tell me. Uh, fluff, not stuff. No, all f- stuff, not fluff. Oh my gosh. Anyway, just someone will get someone will fix it. Anyway, um, yeah, that sounds cool. We should check go it out, that, Jeremy. Cactusforce.com. We should go to that. I can go visit my mom. 
That's true. Yeah, that'd be convenient. It would be. Could eat some good uh what what's their what's their Latino style food there? It's probably a cross between like Mexican and New Mexican. Probably I bet there's are they, are they close enough to New Mexico to get some of that uh, New Mexican flavor in there? Probably, but I I do like I do like their their Mexicanish food they have there. I'm, I'm from El Paso. I know. I, I know what real Mexican food tastes like. No, Dude, nothing ever compares to that. El Paso, yeah, El Paso is pretty legit yeah. as far as it's. It's like, and it's it's, and this I say this with love and appreciation. It's it's like poor Mexican food. Yeah, which tends to be the best Mexican yes. food. Actually, that's why no, I say that. I know. Yeah. Um, I remember. <laughs> no, Mario Batali used to talk about how um, poverty has driven some of the world's best cuisines. It has. Yeah. Yeah. If you look back at some of your most favorite quote unquote comfort foods, that was born out of poverty. Yeah. yeah. Out of, you know, doesn't, it doesn't matter what nationality you are, or what race you are. Right. You look at your favorite comfort foods, those were born out of poverty. Mm-hmm. And the cheapest cuts of meat, yeah, you have to cook them a long time, but they, they're yeah. the most flavorful, right? Yeah, exactly. Until people figure it out and they start buying it. That's annoying too. Yeah. 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 Upscale it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Um, what else, John? We need to wrap this up. Yeah, let's do. All right. I'm wrapping. Share us on the socials. Uh, yep. Tell your friends. Join our Slack friends. Yeah. Join our Slack. W3. Gooddaysirpodcast.com. I found a new way to say it. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> so cool. Uh, Gooddaysirpodcast.com forward slash community or go to our website, gooddaysir.com. Something like that. <laughs> Click on the You can fill in the rest. <laughs> fill the menu. Uh, I do add everyone manually. Uh, I apologize for that, but that's what we do. And so please be patient with me. If you have any topics or anything you want to co- cover on the show, info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Why am I doing this? You should I don't be doing know. This. I, th- I think I already did it, but that's okay. I didn't hear it. Do you have anything else, John? Nope. And to that, John says, Good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.